Hi, welcome to NDE TV. I'm Peggy Robinson. Today's guest is Ian McCormick, and I first heard his story years ago when I watched the movie The Perfect Wave, and I recently um, got Pure Flix, so I can now watch it anytime I want, because I just love your story. Did the movie get it pretty close to your story? Uh, maybe about 60%. Okay. What an honor about... that must have been, though, to have a movie made. Yeah, it was quite wild. There was one called The Lazarus Phenomena, too, that was done a few years prior to that, and another one done by some a Dutch film crew. Um, so this one was a little bit more current, but a bit more based around surfing. So, yeah, one, quite weird seeing um, Clint Eastwood's son, Sean, playing me, and then um, yeah, there's Charlie's Angels. Um, oh, my brain's gone dead. Um, Cheryl Ladd. Uh, playing my mom's. <laughs> I didn't realize that was Clint Eastwood's son until just the other day. My husband told me. Yeah, so I watched all his movies, and I think I watched all of Cheryl Ladd's when she was playing Charlie's Angels. So. <laughs> Isn't it strange? <laughs> yeah, we ended up doing a conference with her, and um, that was really nice. And so she's she's a full on Christian, loves the Lord. Um, currently living in Texas. Cheryl Ladd. Yeah. Really? Yeah. That's awesome. Are you ready to get yeah. started? Tell us your story. Yeah, everybody's yeah. Love I've to just hear. been running around trying to buy flowers for my wife so <laughs> before she saw. I was trying to sneak out, so I'm a little bit hot. It's about 26, 27 Celsius. And I don't know what that's like, maybe up in the 90s. So it's very humid and hot. Um, so I've just been running out trying to get everything sorted while she's out. She went for a swim, so I thought I'd try it sneak out <laughs> it's in the 60s here today in ohio so that's nice because it's been in the 20s 30s teens snow yeah, yeah. nice well it's summer down here so it's the height of summer complete opposite seasons for you guys so do you still surf i try to but i'm more body surfing uh, fishing i surf if i can but um just getting a little bit old it's a bit harder to jump back up on the board I've never tried it. I'm sure I'd be bad at it. Yeah, things slow down as balance. you get older. Huh? <laughs> things slow down as you get a bit older. It's not as, um, you're not as fit as you used to be. Yeah, it would be a good time for me to try to learn now. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Are you ready to tell us your story? Yeah, sure. Okay. I'll just let you take the floor. Okay. Um, thanks for having me, Peggy. And I, the story is really based around, I think, a praying mum in its essence, a mother who never gave up on a prodigal son. And the words she spoke to me as a child were incredibly important. Uh, my mum was not brought up in a Christian home, um, but she came to faith when her mother died. Um, she told me how she'd um, knelt in her bedroom and said, God, if you're real, you must reveal yourself to me. And, and my mum, with tears in her eyes, told me how the Lord had appeared to her in a very phenomenal way in her bedroom and spoken to her. And so my mum then, of course, we didn't realize all this stuff because we were little children when her, her mother died, our grandmother. And she just took us to church. We went to a traditional um, high church, like a Episcopalian type church, um, Church of England. We would stand up, sit down, kneel, very similar to Catholic folks. We felt very, <laughs> I was friends with a bunch of Catholic folk and 
we seem to have the same thing, you know what I mean? Not sure what it's all about, Ten Commandments, Moses, praying, singing hymns. And I never met the Lord. Um, I never encountered him. And my mum, I think, was quite heartbroken. And when I was confirmed, I think, I think the Catholic folks call it catechism. So yeah. when I had my communion for the first time, the bishop laid hands upon me and I took the communion and nothing really happened. I was a little bit dismayed. I thought, well, perhaps God doesn't like me or he is, doesn't exist because I've never encountered him. I've prayed and it just doesn't seem to be there. So I went out of the church and my father was at the entrance and I said to him, Dad, have you ever heard God speak to you? And he said, well, no, son, I, I haven't. And I said, well, the Bible says that we are created in the image of God and I've got ears, eyes, mouth, <laughs> mind to comprehend. Why is it that when I pray to him each night, I've never heard him speak back to me? Does God exist? Have you ever heard God speak to you, Dad? My father kind of looked at the ground and shuffled around a bit and said, well, son, no, I haven't either. Um, and some people think they have, but I think they're a little bit crazy. Um, be a good boy. Don't buck the system. And someday you might make it up there. Well, that wasn't the answer a 14-year-old boy needed. He wanted to know if God was real. Sure, I'll, I'll serve him. If he's not, and it's just Santa Claus and the tooth theory, if it's some kind of a tall tales and true from the legendary past, well, I don't need that. I, I've got better things to do on a Sunday than come to church. None of my friends were coming. They're all surfing. They're all partying. They're all doing outdoor adventure stuff. And I was one of the only ones still of my age coming along to, to church. And I did it out of obedience and love for my mum and dad. But I was at that point where I was ready to challenge that. And um, typical teenager. And so I saw my mother walking with the priest just outside the church. She was talking to him. And I thought, well, I'll go and ask mum. Mum's different from dad. There seems to be something more genuine in her belief in God. I should go and perhaps talk to her. So I, I wandered over and interrupted the conversation. She said, Mum, sorry to disturb you, but I've got a very serious question. She said, what is it, son? I said, have you ever heard God speak to you? And she looked at me and she, she said, yes, son, I have. And, um, and the, the, the priest looked at my mum, <laughs> looked at me and took off with his black robes and his collar. And I thought, wow, what, why did he take off? Surely this is the chance for him to say something. <laughs> but my father had very low opinion of some of the priests. He, he felt that they only had jobs there because they couldn't get a job in the real world. So the church had felt sorry for them. So he was not exactly impressed with the priesthood. Um, and my mum didn't run. She, she looked at me straight in the eye and said, Ian, I have. I said, Mum, I never knew that. When, when did that take place? And then she expanded how her mum had died and how Jesus had appeared in the bedroom. And, and I said, well, that's incredible. You've never told us that, Mother. And um, do I have to go through that kind of experience in order to hear God? Because I've never heard him. And she said, she said no, yeah. Um, but, but I said, well, why is it? Why is it there aren't any normal people coming to church? Why is it people have gone through tragedies or have had horrendous things happen to them seem to find faith in God? Why aren't they just normal people finding God? She said, well, Ian, by nature, man is very arrogant and proud, and it often takes a tragedy in his life to humble him and bring him to a point of need where he'll call out to God. Good answer. 
And I said, well, but my mom not arrogant and proud, am I? Uh, she said, well, some of have all done things wrong. Well, I was 14. In my mind, I had not broken any of the Ten Commandments. I was a good kid, hadn't done anything wrong. So I felt a little bit justified, like, well, I'm a good person. I've done nothing wrong. I'm not an arrogant kind of person. Why is God not talking to me? Well, I had no idea, of course, the scripture say in Isaiah that it's not that God's deaf. He can't hear us. I think it's Isaiah 58. It's that our sins separate us from him. And that means we need to repent of our sins. But of course, my poor mother didn't fully know how to present that because she wasn't a priest. She wasn't a pastor. She was just mum. And mum was trying her in her own language to tell me, well, we need to be humble. <laughs> and of course, young, arrogant, little 14-year-old me <laughs> was basically going, well, I don't need to really do anything. I'm, I've done nothing wrong. I think it's called self-righteousness. <laughs> So um, my mother looked at me and she said, Ian, what are you really trying to say? And I said, well, mum, none of my friends come to church. I'm the only one coming. I've never heard God speak to me. I'm not even sure if he's real. Uh, if it's okay with you and dad, I, I prefer not to come back again. Oh, my mum looked at me, she said, Ian, dad and I have discussed this. We've decided not to force you children into a belief with our belief. Um, so, yeah, it, it saddens my heart, but uh, we'll not force you to come to church anymore. Well, I was a very wholehearted kid. So in my mind, that was it. Been there, done that. <laughs> I'm free. <laughs> and so I walked off back to the car. And as I did, my mother broke into tears, just started sobbing. And I went, oh, God, what have I done now? No child wants to see their mother weep. Right. Uh, and my mum was literally weeping. And I said, mum, mum trying to console her, what's wrong, what's wrong, I, I, I hope I haven't hurt you. She said, Ian, it, I don't know what to say, but if you can learn nothing from my life, whatever you do in life, no matter how far from God you may find yourself, if you call out to God from your heart, God will hear you and God will forgive you. So do you understand what I'm saying? And I repeated it to her. I said, yes, mum, I remember that. She said, I love you. <laughs> I didn't know what all that meant. I do now as a parent. When you watch your own children walk away from God and you can't stop that, or friends or loved ones, it's heartbreaking. You, you want to be in their place. You want to do what they need to do. But you can't because they have free will. They have a choice. And it was very difficult, I can see now, for my mum, who knew that God was real, knew that I've just denied him, really, and I'm walking away. What kind of tragedy that's going to mean for my life. And, of course, as a young kid, you have, have a clue what you're doing. You think you do. So I, I gathered it up. Mum stopped crying, jumped in the car. That was it. Church finished. Unless they got me, my grandmother was in the choir, got me at an Easter service or a Christmas service or a wedding or funeral. Basically, you, my feet did not go anywhere near religion, Christianity. I'd been there, done that. I'm out of here. So my world now revolved around um, surfing, partying, friends, um, university, work, job, consultancy, earning money, doing every kind of extreme sport under the sun. 
And of course, looking at alternative belief systems and checking it out in those years, it was more like Woodstock and and um, the Beatles going off to India. <laughs> it was gurus and you know TM and astral projection and yoga and you name it, mate. <laughs> Organic this and tofu and bean sprouts. I mean, we didn't know. We were, we had com- beat up combis with peace signs on it. The cross broken upside down, mate. We're going peace to everybody. People smoking dope. It was Carlos Castaneda. And, um, it was like <laughs> Cheech and Chong. It was a, just whatever. I mean, whatever went. And, of course, when you don't know God, anything happens. You experiment. You say, well, how do I know unless I tried it? So in those years, we tried everything. We, we did everything. We just extreme and everything. Passionate. And, um, yeah, I, I saw a movie which by some of Californian kids called Endless Summer in the 70s. <laughs> I mean, these kids have got it, mate. Grab their surfboards, surf the world, miss winter, sick of winter, sick of wetsuits. Let's do what these guys did. So my best friend, Tony McCartney, good Irish friend of mine, and McCormick's, <laughs> we just grabbed our surfboards and thought, right, we're gone, mate. We're out of here. So took off through Australia, Indonesia, Sri Lanka, Mauritius, Reunion, South Africa. Two years of surfing around the world. Just extraordinary. Um, experiencing the world from this from 1980 to 82. I was 24 years of age. Went into temples, watched people um, offering incense to statues and monkey gods, Hanuman and Shiva. With in Kalima, I watched people doing stuff that was out there, mate. Opium dens, and they're smoking opium out of pipes and going off into la la land. Um, people hanging from meat hooks on maypoles and people trying to cut each other with swords. We, when we watched stuff, went up into the Perahara and, and Candy, where Buddha's tooth was brought out on golden elephants for 10 days. and there were people doing strange stuff, fired stuff, and you know, walking on fire and putting skewers through their mouth. We, 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 it was like a different world. It was like I'd step back into the Old Testament. We, I come from a country where you just didn't see flagrant, open idolatry. And even as I'm looking at it, I'm, I'm getting remembering the Ten Commandments. You shall not bow down any graven image or idol. They were bathing them in milk, putting clothes on them. I mean, went into a temple in uh, Sri Lanka, hidden temple that only Hindu devotees go to. I was taken in it and I was in the temple and I was smashing coconuts, putting dots on people's heads, trying to open up their, their third eye, which people did with astral travel and astral projection. And um, I watched the statue speak to me. I went, what the heck? Out there, mate, what the heck's that? And I turned to the guy next to me and said, mate, I just saw that flipping statue talk to me. He said, well, what's different about that? I said, what? It was some Nepalese monk. He said, that's normal. And I'm going, that ain't normal, mate. That's supernaturally whacked. As I felt, I felt, I felt intimidated. I felt something's not right here. I'm going an idol, bowing down to idols. I thought it was a third party watching it. Now I'm encountering the supernatural realm. And as I feel intimidated, I feel uncomfortable in my spirit, even as a non-believer monkeys I didn't have see suddenly above above me started to bar their teeth and and threatened as if they wanted to attack me but no idea of course in the Hindu temples 
Hanuman, the monkey god, is one of the most powerful demonic presences that they worship. And so they literally chased me. I could feel the, the spiritual atmosphere. You could cut it with a knife. And I'd felt that in different parts of the world where people were doing stuff. And I got out of that temple. And I went, wow, that's weird, man. I didn't know how to, where to put it. Got into Africa, people doing voodoo, black magic. And um, yeah, there's a world out there, that supernatural world, you know, circle meetings, covens, people doing um, Ouija boards, people doing stuff. And as a, as a young surfer, young kid, you know what I mean, exploring the world, you just bump into so many different aspects, so many different groups of people doing so many different stuff. I just could sense evil in so many of these things. So I'd pull back, but I'd be encountering, experiencing stuff and getting more and more confused, uh, but knowing there's a very, very much a very powerful spiritual realm. So I'm just about to go through Africa, safari, backpack right up into Morocco and then go into South America into the Incas and the Mayans. In many ways, I was looking for the meaning and truth to life. So I was searching, I was looking for answers. You know, if there was a real, if there was no God, then come from aliens. If we had encounters with supernatural beings from other planets. I mean, I was going down rabbit holes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, trying to, trying to figure stuff out. And um, so I had a plan to go to the most remote, the most uh, spiritual, most inaccessible, but places where there was surf too. And so, um, my brother wrote to me from, he'd got out of the army. He was in the military in New Zealand. And most of the family were military. If not, they were farming. And um, sister was on the farm milk with 360 cows with, with her husband. And my brother was in the military. He, he'd come to Australia. And he said, look, I'm getting married to a Kiwi girl. We're going back to New Zealand. Would you come to the wedding? I thought, oh, gosh. Younger brother. <laughs> Love him. Close, close family. Everyone's going to be there. I'm half around the world. <sighs> yep, coming, coming. So I flew back to the islands just off Africa, um, reunion there, Mauritius. Hooked up with a local fisherman I'd um, lived with the year before, Creoles, Rastafarians, Peter Tosh, Bob Marley boys. I said, don't worry, man. Be happy. <laughs> Smoke more hashish, you know. <laughs> they thought they were the lost tribe of Israel, you know, highly Selassies. And <laughs> I loved it, mate. It was just a different world. I loved the music. I went to a concert with UB40. I was right into my music. And so here I am. I'm back with these guys fishing, diving. They night dive, they um, surf. And so one of my friends, Simon, he said, Are oh, we night diving tonight? You're coming. I said, Yeah, mate, yep, yeah, coming. So jumped in the ocean, upbound place called Rivier Noir, La Prenence, dropped in the ocean, started um, diving. Next minute, I got hit in the forearm by something. What the heck? Felt like thousands of volts of electricity. Um, turned out I just got hit by a box jellyfish. Um, I got hit five times before I could get out of the water and to safety. The fisherman called it envisible in the French, French Creole. Said, Pardon, on vit ça, c'est fini. Allez, allez, vite, moi, quatre mois hospital. My French was doing petit peu, but I knew enough French to know that they were telling me, get to the hospital, one will kill you immediately. Allez, allez. As they got me into the boat, they told me to urinate on my arm. 
and to try and help nullify the neurotoxin that had gone into it. Turns out this jellyfish is potentially the most lethal um, creature known to man. Its neurotoxin is 100 times more lethal than the cobra, uh, more deadly than sea uh-huh. snake. I mean, this thing's, this thing's ranked up at the top of the pyramid of poisons. Um, people get hit in the throat, um, straight to the brain, straight to the heart, within three minutes, four minutes dead. Fortunately, hit on the extremity. I'm also a lifeguard, um, so I began to apply manual tourniquet, urinating in my arm, trying everything the, the locals are telling me as well, bush medicine. I'm asking them to come with me, but unfortunately, there's no motor, no outboard motor, so the young boy's told to take me to shore, the boat boy. Uh, my arm's up like Popeye, double its normal size. The skin where I've been hit is blistered. As the poison is, is literally entering into my lymph nodes, I can feel excruciating pain into my, under my armpit, difficulty breathing into my kidneys. I'm going, Nate, this stuff's moving way, way, way too quick. I'm going to get to a hospital, Quatre Bon, Victoria Hospital, Quatre Bon. That's about 20 minutes, half an hour from here. And man, this is the middle of the night. Kid gets me to shore, stand up. To my horror, the poison has paralyzed the right side of my body. I collapse in the boat. Kid drags me out of the boat, up onto the beach, and then up onto the main road. I don't know how he did it, but people lift up burning cars. I've heard, you know, in the middle midst of trauma and tragedy and do stuff, supernatural strength. He should never have lifted me, carries me up onto the main road. And um, he panics. He's gone... Uh, my frere, Sula Plus, the, 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 my brothers are going to die. They've been killed. They're going to be killed by these um, jellyfish. And I said, no, mate. Um, the, the full wetsuits, they're protected. They're, they're safe. I need ambulance, gendarme. I need to get to Catrebon, the hospital. Fortunately, the child panics and runs down, down to the boat. He's just a kid. He's left his brother out there, so he's freaking out. Um, of course, in 19, this is 1982, no mobile phones, no internet, no nothing, mate. This is, <laughs> this is before we had Google and flipping search engines. And right. When I remember when the first mobile phones came out, they were like this, they were like right. two by fours, you know, <laughs> motor roller bricks. People felt so happy. They were standing with something this big off the side of their head. They felt so cool. <laughs> so here I am, no phone middle of the night, feel incredibly tired, start to lie down and um, feel like I want to sleep. As my eyes begin to close, I hear a man's voice speak to me. He said, son, if you close your eyes, you will never awake again. Shaken by this, I look, where the heck was that man? No one, the invisible man. No idea, of course, the Bible says that my sheep hear my voice. That God can actually audibly speak to people. He spoke to Moses out of burning bush. Um, he spoke to how many people? To Mary, you know what I mean? Through Gabriel. Um, uh, there's so many ways that God's spoken. Um, he can even speak through a donkey. So I'm, I'm literally hearing the voice of God for the first time. I remember asking God later, how, how come? speaking to me i'm a black sheep you know i mean my sheep i'm not a white sheep i'm a black sheep i was an unbeliever he said ian i love the lost i go searching for them i wish that none would perish and i can speak to people even those who hate me and don't believe me i'll give them dreams and visions i'll appear to them to try and save them so i'm here hearing for the first time god and he's just spared my life 
I realized now had I closed my eyes, I would have gone into a coma and it would have been dead right there on the spot. So I fought the poison and, and tried to walk. I staggered down the road and saw three Indian taxi drivers. These are East Indians from India itself. And they think I'm drunk because I can hardly walk. And I said, not drunk, stung by sunk on visage jellyfish. Fortunately, the Indian people don't necessarily swim or dive. So I just said, hospital, Catrabon, Victoria Hospital, Catrabon. They said, well, how much money you pay us? <laughs> I said, look, I'm dying. No, no, how much, how much money you pay? for taxi. I said, 50 bucks, 100 US. All three of them tried to get me into, this, into the cab. Uh, and then one of them said, well, let me see your money, white man. You show me your money now. I take you. Let me see your money. Of course, when you dive, you don't carry your, your money belt. You don't carry money. I said, I'm afraid I don't have it on me. Well, that was the wrong answer. All three East Indian men walk away as if I'm some kind of a nutter. As they walk away, I know full well and the hatred and animosity between, between races is so heavy here um, that they can let me die. In this third world country, they can let me die. No, it's no worries about that. As I'm not knowing what to do, I hear for the second time as if the man is behind me now speaking audibly. He said, son, are you willing to beg for your life? I went, what? I turn to try and see the man, and of course, there's no one there. So I've just heard the second time the audible voice of God, still not knowing it's him, but knowing someone just told me, will you beg for your life? I thought, that's a brilliant idea. I hadn't thought of it. I'm sure these Indians have never seen a white man beg, drop to my knees, cut my hands, and beg for my life. Two Indian walk, third taxi driver, Indian guy stops. I can see it's, it's touch and go, is he thinking I'm real or is it fair dinkum or am I just literally scamming him? Am I drunk? Am I stoned? Am I drugs? He's trying to figure it out. What's this guy? Is this genuine? Is this guy actually for real? And to my amazement, he, he realized it was genuine. Man. He walked over, helped me into his taxi. I thanked him and we took off towards the hospital. Then I could see this man having second thoughts. He was going, well, how I get my money? Where, where you stay? He was trying to think through the hundred bucks. What's, hotel, what's your hotel? What's your room number? Well, I'm not really wanting to engage in the conversation. I'm dying. And I don't stay in a hotel. I live with a fisherman. And I know that's not going to go over too well. So he keeps pestering me. And in the end, I thought, I've got to respond. I said, look, I don't stay in a hotel. I live with the Creoles in Tamarind Bay. And I went, what? Tourist? I said, not tourist. Traveler, surfee. More words that he doesn't want to hear. He said, you, 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 Tamarind Bay, there's Tamarind Bay Hotel. You stay there. I said, no, no, I don't. Uh, Chinese owner, I don't stay there. He said, I take you there. The tourists, they look after you. Um, you're not paying me my money. I take you no further. You, you lie to me. You, you lie to me. So we've maybe gone five miles down the road, and he's now pulling into the village where I live. One horse town. I mean, it's <laughs> so small. It's unbelievable. Just a fishing village for the Creole, for the Africans. Very, very poor, living tin sheds. I mean, there's one tourist hotel on the beachfront. Pulls out in front of it, tells me to get out. I try and move because everyone in the village knows me. It's so small. Look, who cares? Middle of the night, someone will find me. Try and get out. And my left leg now is completely paralyzed. The poison, which is, as I said, a neurotoxin, has literally hit my neurological nervous system and paralyzed it. Can't feel anything from my waist down. 
I said, I can't walk, man. My legs are gone. I can't feel them. He, he said, get out. And he's getting more and more aggro, more and more upset. I said, I can't walk, man. So he opens the door. He said, you get out now. He said, I can't. So he took my safety belt off and shoved me straight out of the taxi. I was unprepared for it. If someone had tried to do that to me, my left, my right arm was paralyzed. My left, my left hand would have grabbed him and dragged him with me, a mongrel, a mongrel guy pushing some half-dead man out of his car. What kind of sicko are you? Well, to my horror, he just slams the door, having pushed me out of his taxi, and drives off and leaves me for dead. Well, I think I had some fairly interesting thoughts <laughs> about what I'd do to him, <laughs> what I thought of him. And this, you know, um, but as I'm lying there, I thought, well, that's not much use. You know, I'm dying. I thought, well, I'll try and drag myself along the ground. You know, as I'm doing this, a security guard must have seen the taxi in the hotel. He wanders out, shines his torchlight, you know, flashlight around the car park, finds me in a crumpled heap. I hear the voice of one of the Creoles, um, Danielle, my drinking buddy. And he's going, kiss a fair man. What happened? You, you never see you like that, brother. So he's thinking I'm drunk or stoned or something. But he's never seen me like that state. So he's a little bit unsure. He's got a security uniform on. He's smiling and happy, laughing. And then he sees my arm with his flashlight blistered and, and of course, instantly recognises it to be this um, box jellyfish thing. On visage. And he uses the same French word. I said, we said, pardon, you drive with Simon tonight, Limon. I said, we said, Stephanie, Stephanie, man, how come you're not like this one? Kill you, brother. And then he grabs me in his arms. He's a very strong man, grabs me, this big African man, runs into the hotel. I said, good, we're getting somewhere. <laughs> he puts me next to the Chinese owners who are playing mahjong and drinking their whiskey. And um, the Chinese said, oh, well, you, you, you drink too much. You, you're drunk, white boy. What were laughing away? I said, not drunk, stung by jellyfish. I'm, I'm dying. I need to get to the hospital. He said, no, what did what, what, what you say? One of them stood up looking at my arm. He said, oh, you put heroin. You, you stupid boy. Why, why, you, why you put the needle in your arm? I thought, well, thank you very much, Dr. Wong. Brilliant diagnosis, son. So I'm here thinking things like, why would you? Well, maybe it could look like heroin. Maybe it could look like uh, traced with needles. Maybe I think I'm on smack. I maybe think I'm mainline stuff, but I'm not. This is a blinking jellyfish. So I turned to him and said, mate, this is, not a, this is not heroin. This is a jellyfish. Can you help me? No, just sit down, start playing the, the gambling game. <laughs> thinking, Where's my mate Danielle gone? Where's the, he's disappeared on me. Surely you can explain to them how deadly this thing is. No one around, just me. Next minute, my hand starts to tremble. And I watch muscles in my forearm and in my fingers begin to contract and spasm. And I thought, what the heck is that? Next minute, it started to shake violently. Next minute, my jaw began to smash into it. And then my left hand joined it. And within seconds, my whole body is going to the death rattles. I'm going, mate, that happens. I've seen that with epilepsy. This isn't epilepsy. My God, this is that poison. Flipping heck, it's killing me. As my body's going off, shaking to bits and just going to death rattles, he, these men obviously gobsmacked. Oh, what the heck's going on with this kid? Now he's flipping, shaking like a nutter. They know something's seriously wrong. Run over like I'm having a seizure or something. 
physically try and restrain me, can't. I'm throwing them off way bigger and stronger than them, just chucking me and off me. And then as quickly as it started, it stopped. And I went icy cold. It went from burning hot and shaking to total stillness and deep coldness. I could feel it, death, necrosis coming into my bone marrow and my feet. At university, I'd done a degree in agriculture at Lincoln University and um, studied veterinary science and dairy science. So I had a good grasp of my own physiology and, 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 and science. And here I could feel death entering the bones. I thought, oh God, I need help, man. I got three men like stunned mullets. Often in the times of trauma, people don't make good decisions. So I was a lifeguard and trained to move and think in the midst of even uh, trauma. So I'm trying to instruct them. I said, man, I need, I need blankets now. I'm freezing. Help me. Three men run. Two come back with blankets. The third one, the older gentleman, comes back with a glass of milk. What the heck's he doing with a glass of milk? Tries to pour it down my throat. And I'm thinking, oh, okay, he thinks I've taken poison. He thinks I've ingested the toxin. I said, mate, good thinking, but I, I need anti-serum. I have to get to the hospital. I could see his Mercedes Benz parked in the car park. I said, can you take me in your car now or I'll die in front of you? He looked at his uh, Mercedes, looked at me, put his hand on my shoulder. He said, oh, my car? No, no, no. Cannot take my car. How come you're so worried, white man? Wait for ambulance for you. Don't worry. Be happy. And I was <laughs> fairly laid back. I was fairly chilled. But, man, there was a time when, um, uh, you, when you snap, you're going to hit somebody. So I thought, oh, I'm hit you, you sicko. So I'm just about to whack him, and my right arm won't move. I thought, oh, great, it's paralyzed. So I try my left hand. I could feel a bit of strength. I thought, well, I'm not a southpaw like my dad, but I could grab his shirt, rip him down into my forehead and give him a headbutt. That'll teach him a lesson on what not to do with a dying man. So I'm just about to literally launch into him with the last of my strength. And I hear the third time the audible voice, which I now know to be God, speak to me, said, son, if you hit him, that poison, that toxin is so close to your heart, the adrenal rush will kill you. Shit, that's true. It's who's this flipping voice? I'm getting sick of it. But that's mostly right. I thought if I whack him, I could I could die right here. I thought if I control my anger and look away, maybe I could get him later if I live. <laughs> I thought plan B. So as I turn my head away from looking at him, to my amazement, into the car park comes an ambulance. Danielle, the Creole, who'd carried me into the hotel, grabs me. I realize what he's done. He's running the hospital. He knows how serious it is. He's not even waiting for these guys to help. This ambulance, then they get me into it. As they race me towards the hospital, I start to see this is your life. Like a small child flashing before me. I thought, mate, I've heard TV programs about this, people commenting on the phenomena. I thought, but some people say, oh, this is just um, starvation of oxygen. This is endorphins. Uh, you know, this is the, the, the mind is just, you know, tr troubled. And I'm going, but mate, this is real. Flipping heck, that's actually my life. I thought, well, what will happen? If, am I going to die? So I quickly check my own vital signs. I go through 
respiratory, nearly gone, heart can hardly hear it, total paralysis, dehydration, muscular contractions, death rattles. Mate, I could be nearly dead. I thought if I died right en route or died in the hospital, is there life after death? I thought, well, I've heard heaps of opinions, mate. Everyone's got opinions. Everyone's got an ism, Buddhism, Taoism, humanism, Darwinism, Catholicism. I thought, mate, it's a lucky dip. Who knows? I'm not afraid to die. I'll soon find out if there's life after death. As I'm lying there contemplating this, unbeknown to me, my mum on the other side of the world sees my face appear in front of her. She then hears the audible voice of God say, your son, Ian, is about to die. Pray for him now. Well, mum, who'd heard God's voice, knew it, never heard it in such clarity since her mother died, is going, what? Ian's about to die, my son, my eldest son? So she runs into her bedroom. She tells me this later. My father's freaking out. What's wrong, honey? Ian, there's something wrong with him, you know? My dad, not a clue what's going on, follows mum. Mum hits her knees where she prays in her bedroom and starts to pray. Supernaturally, I'm on the other side of the world, not knowing what mum's doing. Next minute, mum, I can see her appearing in front of me, in front of a dresser in a bedroom, praying as if I'm looking into what she's doing. Thank God for intercessory prayer. <laughs> Thank God for praying mums, mate. So here's mum praying. I'm seeing her. She looks up as if she can see me in the ambulance. So out there. And she said, Ian, no matter how far from God you are, if you call out to God from your heart, God will hear you and God will forgive you. Whoa. Exactly the same word she told me as a 14-year-old boy. I'm now 26, 12 years later. She's now speaking through prayer and intercession. The power of those words hit me. I'm going, God, forgive, call out to him from your heart. I thought, Mum, I don't even know if there's a God. And if there is, which one? I've seen thousands of different people's representation of God. Maybe there is one. God, if you're real, show me your face. I need to see you to believe. If I see you right now, I'll pray. No one appears except mother. I thought, well, mother's not God. That's for sure. But she may act like it. But my mother's a Christian. She prays to Jesus. Couldn't mother be right? Oh, my God, maybe she is. Look at her life. She's so loving, so gentle. Never see a nasty word come out of her mouth. My goodness sake, she's a saint. If there's anyone that actually is a believer and true representation of what God should be like, there's mum. I mean, she's too good for this sick planet. So I'm, I'm racing these things through going, mum believes in Jesus. What the heck would you pray that's Christian? I thought, well, my mum used to kneel with my bed every, every night as a kitty and pray the Our Father's Prayer, the Lord's Prayer. I thought, well, that's Christian. Jesus taught it. Mate, why not? Nothing to lose. Maybe you're wrong. So I thought, but you're putting all your eggs in one basket. You you know, all the chips up on one number. I thought, I haven't seen Buddha or Ganesh or Shiva or Vishnu or Sai Baba. I've seen Mother. That's the person who's appeared. She's the one praying for me. Lord's Prayer. Try to pray it. Mind completely blank. My mum said, Ian, pray from your heart, not from your head. Call out from your heart. I thought, mum, I'm so cynical. My heart's like stone. You could strike a match on it. Man, I've been there and done that. 
But God, if you're out there, if you see anything good in this heart, help me to pray. Instantly, words appear in the ambulance. But like, you know, how Star Wars have those words of light. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. Forgive us our trespasses and sins. Oh, the forgive us our sins? How can I just say simple words like this to God and God forgive me of 26 years of sin? Oh, I, I, I can't list them. I'm nearly dead. I said, well, God, I don't know how you could forgive a man like me, but if you can, I sincerely ask you, forgive me all of my sins. Words instantly disappear. Fresh words of light. Forgive those who've trespassed and sinned against you. I said, man, this isn't in the order, but that's part of the prayer. Forgive others. Well, I'm not revengeful. I'm not vindictive. I'm, I, I'm pretty laid back. I can forgive anyone, God. No matter what they've done to me, I forgive them. And next minute, the face of the taxi driver appears in front of me. I thought, what the flipping heck's he doing here? And the voice said, will you forgive this man for pushing you out of his car tonight and leaving you for dead in front of the hotel? You must be joking. Why should I? Look what this mongrel did to me. Up comes the Chinese hotel owner. One who wouldn't take me in his car. The voice, will you forgive this man for not taking his car to the hospital tonight and leaving you for dead? I said, no, I had other plans for these men's lives. I was going to lay my hands upon them. And it wasn't God bless you, my son. <laughs> so I'm lying there thinking, forgiving others. Man, I've mumbled this prayer off thousands of times, but this is real. I'm actually going to have to forgive real people who've actually dealt to me. I'm going, my God, they're the tip of an iceberg. If you're going to count the abusers and the wackos and the nutters out there that stuff me up, man, they're the top of the iceberg of heap of people on my hit list. I don't know about you, how many got on your hit list, but, mate, I had a few. I thought, flipping heck, who's this person telling me to forgive them? Look what they, look what they did to me. I, why should I stuff them? The next minute, silence. I'm going, oh, my God, that could be God. And that voice, that's not me. That's not mum. I could be actually talking to God. I've been hearing him on the beach, hit, you know, begging for my life. Hit this guy, you'll die. If I don't forgive them from my heart, I'm going to get no more of the prayer. I said, well, God, I don't want to forgive them. Look what they've done. But if you can forgive me, and that is an absolute miracle of all the stuff I've done in my life. You can forgive all the nasty evil, sinful stuff I've done. That's a miracle. I'll forgive these men. I'll never touch them. I'll never seek them out. I'll never harm them all the days of my life. That's it. I let them go. They're gone. As I've said that, an incredible weight come out of me. I felt at times like my gut was tied up in knots. I think there's an anger or an unresolved bitterness inside there. And men can often bottle that in, mate. And then when they pop, look out. And then the quiet ones are sometimes the most dangerous. And so I just felt something break free. I thought, wow, what was that all about? I felt like I've forgiven them and I've been free from something. Next minute, more words came. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I thought, thy will, that's God's will be done on earth. Well, I'm certainly doing my own will, my own thing. I'm independent, I'm self-sufficient, I'm proud of it. I've done it my way, like Frank Sinatra. <laughs> I did it my way. 
to pray this, I'm actually going to have to admit I'm wrong, humble myself to God, find out what he's doing in heaven and try and live it on earth. Man, that's going to cramp your lifestyle. No one will recognize you doing that stuff, mate. That's, that's not one hour on Sunday. That's 24-7. <laughs> I said, well, God, I have never given my life to you. I don't even know what all that's about. But if you can help me, I'll find out what you're doing in heaven, find out what your will is for my life, and I will follow you all the days of my life. I surrender. Incredible peace hit me. I now realize thy will is lordship. <laughs> Asking forgiveness is repentance. But Jesus said, if you don't forgive others, your sins will not be forgiven you. So I had to forgive others too to actually solidify my forgiveness and repentance. Jesus, in fact, said, if you don't forgive, you won't be forgiven yours. So it'll save a hell of a lot of counseling in churches. If Christians actually dealt with the fact of unforgiveness, bitterness, resentment, and downright hatred towards people who have abused them and messed them up at the moment of salvation. So I actually forgave right there at the point. Next minute, the entire prayer appears, a bit like the Star Wars thing. It's like here is a scroll of the Lord's Prayer in words of light. Found out later, God said, my word is a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. All my word is truth, and the truth will set you free. Well, I prayed, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, holy. I then prayed the entire prayer through, and instantly I felt peace enter me. And I realized I just made peace with God. And this peace has not left me in 40 years. This is 1982. It's now 2022. <laughs> Jesus said, I'm the Prince of Peace. Peace I give you, not of this world. And this peace will stay you. <laughs> the obedient enter the rest. There was a rest and peace that hit me, man. I was ready. I thought, what a bizarre thing to find out that Jesus Christ is real, that this whole stuff is real just before you die. I thought, I wonder how many messed up nutters, heathen, complete wackos find Jesus right in their dying seconds. I wonder how many yeah. completely demonized nutters. And I'm lying there going, mate, don't you dare judge anybody. You have no idea how merciful and gracious God is. And you have no idea who's praying for them. He might have 10,000 people wish them dead, mate, put our hits on them. But there's one praying mother that loves Jesus. Who's God going to listen to, mate? He's going to listen to that one mum who's seen him praying. <laughs> one praying mum, mate, could move an army of mongrels off and an army of people trying to kill them. <laughs> so I'm going, wow. I thought, man, I'm about to die, and I've just figured out this stuff's real. Well, thank God for mum. <laughs> thank God she's praying. Next minute, ambulance door stops, doors swing open. I'm at the hospital. Everything in that moment had gone into slow motion. It felt as though an eternity had taken place. And I said to God, how come it seemed a long time, but in reality it was a very quick trip to the hospital? He said, Ian, I'm outside of time. I'm eternal. I'm able to manipulate time. I said, it was a bit like when I had a car wreck. I, the car rolled four or five times and everything went into slow motion. He said, that's right. Sounds like the matrix. I can literally hold time. I said, that's amazing. He said, I'm doing that because I wish that none would perish. It's an opportunity for me to talk to them because once they're dead, then comes judgment. They can't repent after they've died. 
they got to repent and give their heart to me. They've got to call upon me before they die. And so here I am. So it's the point of man to die and then comes judgment. So here I'm going. What? Carry me in in a wheelchair. Race me in. Nurse is trying to get my blood pressure. No pulse. Another machine. No pulse. Nurse is freaking out. Patient's eyes are open. I'm alive, but <laughs> I don't know how. You know, one doctor said later, it's like you're in a crash mode. The, the heart and the brain are the only things left. The rest of the body shuts down. The extremities shut down. So that's why they couldn't get a pulse. The ambulance driver pushes the nurse away, races me through the doctors. They see my blood pressure, no, no pulse, but I'm alive. I'm telling them, I've been stung by sarc, Envisab, jellyfish. I need anti-serum now or I'll die. Doctors shoving injections into me, anti-serum, anti, uh, antitoxins, you know what I mean? Drip feed, trying to get dextrose, trying to get fluid back into me. I felt like a pincushion, couldn't feel a thing, but I could see what they're trying to do. But I'm, but this stage starting to come up almost into a third party. And I know this is, this is a one-way ticket. I know if I'm coming out of my body, this ain't good. This means body might be there, but if me, me, my spirit being is getting drawn out, that's not good. Yeah. <laughs> I'd done that with astral projection. I'd done that in advanced yoga. You can do that. That's a very dangerous thing because you can go into, into the realm but, but I knew this wasn't coming out in, in a trauma. This was actual death. That yeah. if I went, it's dead. I'm dead. So I'm going, no, clinging to the body. Don't leave, like hanging on. Doctor saying, don't close your eyes. That's all we can do for you. I'm thinking, right, I'm going to stay awake all night. I've drank lots of men under the parties. I've got a you know, high tolerance to no sleep. I'm going to stay awake all night. So I'm fighting this poison. I'm wrestling. I'm battling. No longer can move my arms. Can't move my head. Um, can't speak. The only thing moving a, a bit of my eyelids. But the poison is coming back through the capillaries. It's hard to keep my eyes open. I thought, stuff it. Five minutes, power nap. Close your eyes in. Get some strength. And then keep it. Keep going. Battle on. Shut my eyes to get the strength and felt this extraordinary release. Like, it's finished. I don't have to fight anymore. As this is happening, the machine's monitoring my vital signs, flatline, heart, boom, gone, pulse, brain, brain, the whole thing, brain dead, heart dead, instantly gone. This is different from a drowning or a heart attack. This is a neurotoxin. So when it hits the actual brain, when it hits the heart, it's cessation of life. It's brain dead, heart dead all at the same time. Uh, often if you've had a heart attack, you can still keep the mind oxygenated and they can be hard dead, but brain still alive. You know, um, anyhow, I'm clinically pronounced brain dead right there on the spot from the neurotoxin. Um, and they then wheel me off to the morgue. Well, I don't see this because I'm out of my body. And um, a lot of people, of course, comment on how they can look back at it. So they can look down at it, they can see it, see where the people are, hear what they're saying. And of course, Jesus said, I'm the resurrection of life. Those who believe in me, even if they die, yet they shall live. So what was dead? My physical body, my shell, my clay vessel. What was alive? When a man dies, his spirit leaves his body. And his physical body is ash to ash. So my spirit, me, Ian, was out of my body. I could see, hear, feel, think. So my spirit and soul, me, left the clay body. 
some people believe in soul sleep. I mean, me, Ian, I could think, rationalize, feel my, my mind, will, and emotions, which is your soul, was an intricately a part of my spirit being. I think the Jews are much clearer rather than the Greeks. Greeks try and make into three parts. The Jews just go, your spirit, you leave your body upon death, Ecclesiastes. Um, so here I am out of my body in a second out of the hospital, and I'm now standing upright in complete darkness. I thought, what the heck? Did I just die? Is that real? Did I just leave my body? Or have I been asleep and woken up after, uh, in the dark? You know how you can sometimes not sure whether you've been five minutes or five hours? Right. So I'm trying to grapple with, am I awake or am, 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 what's happening? So I, I look around thinking I'm still potentially in the hospital can't see any light. Well, then don't panic. Just go and turn the light switch on. So I reach out to my right to find a wall. No wall. Come back, look at my hospital. Can't find it. Oh, now you've lost your bed, you idiot. So I'm groping around trying to find it. I thought, man, it's so dark. What the heck? You can't see your hands in front of your face. So I bring my hand towards my face, and my hand passes straight through my head as if there's nothing there, but I know it's there. So I use two hands to go straight through my head, my chest. Hands go straight through. My chest, I feel, is there. So I go for my hands. Both hands pass through each other. I said, what? Have I died? Am I out of my body? Am I like a spiritual being in a realm of darkness? What is this place? Is this real? So I'm grappling with, am I lying in a hospital bed? This is in my head. Or am I actually out of my body in a realm of darkness? And this is reality. So as I'm standing there, I feel that the darkness has an incredible evil in it. It's as though something in there is looking at me. I don't know if, if you've ever experienced but some people have felt like weight upon them or suffocating or have seen demonic presences or felt raw evil. Well, I'd felt evil. Now I am sensing it all through this darkness, an absolute, deep, seriously heavy evil. Like invisible eyes are looking at me. Next minute, I hear a man scream from the darkness. I could feel his presence. He said, shut up. I went, shut up. I said nothing and literally try to protect myself from the intent of what was there. Another man, you deserve to be here. I said, deserve to be where? Another man, you're in hell. Now shut up. I thought, hell? I don't believe in it. If this is hell, where's the party? Because in my world, any hell was a place, everything you couldn't do up here, you could do down there. Sex and drugs and rock and roll. I thought, well, it was pretty hard to have sex, got no physical body. Pretty hard to take drugs, you couldn't find your mouth, you know what I mean? <laughs> and dancing either way, shadow dancing, you know what I mean? Well, I'm going, this, this, is this, this can't be hell. Hell's supposed to be a party. Harley Davidson's, Ibiza Mosh Party, MTV, you know what I mean? I'm standing there going, well, there's no sex, drugs, and rock and roll. My physical body, my gosh, isn't here. Then I'm going to myself, well, isn't it supposed to be Dante's Inferno? Isn't it supposed to be little boys with horns, red jumpsuits, trident pitchforks, running around? Come on, you mongrels, sinners, roast them. Put them on the barbie, you know, roast them, burn them up. I'm going, there's only darkness. Where's the fire? Where are the demons? Where's the little hells, you know, the stuff? which I'd seen in paintings and in art galleries and in churches. I'm going, well, fire. I mean, if there was fire here, at least you could see something. And, and fire, 
um, and, and rotting corpses and maggots and gargoyles and all this rubbish. My rotting body isn't here. My rotting body's back in the physical hospital. So this can't be, this, this is a different hell than anyone's ever told me. I had no idea, of course, the Bible says that God is an all-consuming fire <laughs> and that Satan is going to be cast into a lake of fire, that he hates the fire, that Jesus' eyes are a flame of fire. Daniel, I think it's Daniel 7 or 8, God sits upon a throne of fire. There's a river of fire flowing beneath him. And God's breath is like fire and brimstone. When, God, when Elijah prayed, fire and brimstone came down from heaven and consumed the altar. Abraham was praying, fire and brimstone came down and, and took out Sodom and Gomorrah. And it came from heaven. So I'm, I'm trying to figure out, well, fire, of course there's no fire here. Fire gives off light. God is light. I mean, and I, I'm grappling with this understanding. And I'm going, well, maybe God, I, I thought I'd prayed. You know what I mean? <laughs> Perhaps God's judged me anyhow. You know what I mean? Perhaps he just thought, you're too bad. You're too right and a sinner. And what was fascinating is I felt the peace of God in me, even though all this is taking place. Scriptures say, greater is he within me. Nothing can separate us from the love of God, neither life nor death, principality or power. And I love Psalm 23. They read it at funerals. The Lord's my shepherd. I shall not want, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil. In fact, in the Hebrew, it actually goes, the valley of deep darkness, shadow of death. And I'd made Jesus my Lord and Savior just before I walked in, before I died. So Jesus spent three days and three nights in Hades. He took back from Lucifer the keys of death in Hades. So he's acquainted with darkness. Darkness is his light to the Lord. Even if you descend into the lower regions of the earth, even if you made your bed in Sheol, even if you made your, made your bed in hell, God will walk in there. <laughs> light pierces the darkness. The darkness has to flee. So here I'm realizing that God is actually with me, walking me through Hades, through the valley of the shadow of death, Evil, demonic presence, people, demon, all around me. Can't touch me. Can't touch this. <laughs> <laughs> so fear no evil. Why? Because God has destroyed his power on the cross. He has taken back the keys of death and Hades. He holds them. He has the keys. So I'm standing there going, how come they can't touch me? How come I still feel at peace? What's going on? And I'm getting a total revelation of a hell so different from anything I've been shown from secular or from religion. And, of course, um, Paul the Apostle said there's two kingdoms in the spirit world, Acts 26, 18, a kingdom of darkness ruled by Satan and a kingdom of light ruled by Jesus. Two separate kingdoms, two separate dominions. And, of course, fire is light. <laughs> If Jesus' eyes are a flame of fire, and God is an all-consuming fire, and Lucifer is going to be hated, tormented by the fire, there's a reason why he hates the fire. He hates it. There's no fire in hell, none at all. In fact, death and Hades go into a lake of fire in, Re in Revelation 20. So I'm standing, next minute, light pierces through the darkness. As it hits me, my entire body is lifted up into the light. I'm going, it's like beam me up, Scott's like Star Trek. <laughs> What's going on? As I'm going up in this extraordinary light, I look back thinking, is that real? As I look back, I remember a Sunday school story about a woman and her family in Sodom and Gomorrah. 
And the angel said, I'm going to deliver you out of this terrible city of perversion, sexual, twisted, demonic stuff. But I'm telling you, when we get you out, don't you dare look back, lest you die. And of course, God brings four of them out, husband, wife, two kids. Angel gets them out and then fire comes down, rains down, fire and brimstone raining down from heaven, not from hell, from heaven, consuming the cities. And the wife obviously still had a bit of the desire for that, for that evil in her heart. She looks back and as she looks back, her entire body is consumed and turns to ash. It's just salt, you know what I mean? Thump, gone. Just there she is, she's finished. And I thought, I've been to Pompeii, I'd seen stuff like this, and I'm, but they're literally just turned in a second uh, as the pyro stuff is just the bodies. You can still see them curled up with a hit, with the, with the volcano hit, the fire hit. And I thought, whoa, I'm dumb. I'm looking back. You shouldn't be looking back, man. You should keep your eyes fixed on that light that's drawing you out. So I quickly turned back and I could see that the light was drawing me up like a tracker beam up into the, up into the air and far above me, I could see a circular opening. It's as though I've been drawn towards an entrance. As I've been drawn up, I can see that the entrance is an opening between two kingdoms. As I look along the length of this passageway or tunnel, I can see at the extremity, a kingdom of light. I'm in a kingdom of darkness. I've just now been delivered from a kingdom of darkness and drawn into a tunnel moving towards a kingdom of light. And of course, Jesus said clearly, there is a narrow way that leads to the kingdom of God. Few find it. But there is a broad way that leads to destruction. Many find it. So I enter a narrow passageway. And Jesus said, there's only one way. I am the way. Many religions say, oh, any way gets there. You know, you can choose whatever pathway. But Jesus was very specific. He said, no, there's no other way, no other name by which you can be saved. I am the way. I am the truth. No one comes to the Heavenly Father but through me. So I'm being drawn at the speed of light through a tunnel of light. And I could see, this is like a parallel universe. It's like in, it's, it's in time and space. Jesus stepped through the wall. I could sense it was literally right there. It was in, as I moved through this tunnel, waves of radiance move up from the kingdom of light that I'm coming into towards me, thicker intensity. As it moves and moves, it touches me. I sense a comfort, like a living emotion like from this light. It's like it's got a living emotion hitting me. My whole body's tingling. I feel an incredible warmth. I feel an amazing sense of presence. I now know this to be the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the comforter. Comfort I give, not of this world. Well, I tried Southern comfort, <laughs> false comfort, mate. <laughs> a few different things. And um, looking for the worm in the bottom of the tequila. I mean, this was comfort like I've never experienced. Uh, living emotion. And of course, taste and see the Lord's good. Taste the fruit of the Spirit. So I come further down, another wave of light hits me. Peace the tip of my head to the base of my feet. I felt that in that, in that ambulance, man. Now this peace enveloped me. That's amazing. Such peace. Peace I give you, not of this world. I turned my head. I thought in the darkness, I couldn't see my hand. It went straight from my face. I wonder if I can see my form in this radiant light. As I turned, I could see my hands and my arm 
outstretched because I was going like this at the speed of light. And I stopped immensely in the tunnel. I could then see my fingers and my arm, but no longer bone and flesh. It was a spiritual being of light, the same form of a human being. And I went, that's radical. You, that's me outside of my physical form. Yet it's got a physical nature to it as a human being. And of course, the Bible says when a man dies, his spirit leaves his body. And first the natural, then the heavenly. First the earthly, then the spiritual. But we should be transformed in a twinkling of an eye. Death, where is your sting? There's resurrection life. There's eternal life. And of course, we are sons and daughters of light. Because God is the father of light. And flesh and blood will not inherit the kingdom of God, but will be changed. Only your spirit will pass through into eternity. And of course, then Bible says, then God will clothe your spirit with an eternal earthly body. Hallelujah. <laughs> Can't wait for that. This one's starting to pack in. <laughs> I'm 65, man. I can feel it. And so I'm, I'm looking at my hand. Now I know why it can go through my face. And I'm a being of light. I thought, okay, don't figure, I can't figure it all out, but man, that's awesome. What's further down? I move further down, drawn by this radiance, another wave of light hits me. Unbelievable joy, like joy. <laughs> I've been in church meetings when the joy hits. People are hysterical. <laughs> Some of them need it. <laughs> joy of the Lord is your strength, you know. Laughter is good medicine. I've seen people physically healed when they God just touches them with laughter. Just miracles take place. <laughs> Heals broken hearts. Tears can do that, but laughter can too. Yeah. I mean, turns our mourning into joy. The Spirit of the Lord's upon me. And so I, I'm, a, I'm just clothed in peace, clothed in comfort, clothed in joy. And I come out of the tunnel. Now I realize the tunnel made it look real small. I'm now coming into a kingdom of light so enormous, it literally seems to fill the universe. I thought I have come into the center of all life, all light, all galaxies. This must be the epicenter of the entire cosmos. All life as we know it must find its energy and source from this light. What is it? So I'm staring intently into it, seeing it is brighter in the core, it's, it's living. As a living radiant, it would make a million suns look yellow. It would make laser light look dead. The light was actually a, a presence. I now know the, the light, of course, is the person of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is glorifying the sun. And it says the light that's around Jesus is so bright, you won't need the light of the sun or the moon or the stars because he is glorified. Well, this radiance is powerful. It's touching me, washing over me. And I thought, is there someone in there? To myself, is someone in there? Or, or, or am I just looking at some innate presence of good in the cosmos? Is this just an innate force of good? Or is there something in there? As I'm thinking this, it's as though the person can hear me. And the Bible says, from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. God knows the intent of the heart, the motivation of the heart, and he can hear the voice of the true man's thoughts. So people would call that telepathy or would call that intuition, but I realize that's another new age or kind of worldly term. He was really hearing me, my voice. It made more sense when I read the Bible. 
have the awareness of the heart, the mouth speaks. So he's actually hearing my heart's thoughts. That's why nothing's hidden from him. Everything's laid bare. And he's, he's hearing me going, what is that? <laughs> he's going, okay, I better tell him. And so he said, Ian, do you wish to return? I went, there you are. That answered, there is someone in there. It's not just to force me with you. And he, how do you know my name? And return where? It's as if I've just come from somewhere, which I believe I have. How did he know that? Return where? So I look behind me, and here's a tunnel going back into darkness, back into hell, and I'm thinking back into my, into my body. So he's just hit me. Bam. One statement. Ian, do you wish to return? I'm going, am I dead out of my body and I'm talking to this being of light? Or am I lying in a hospital bed, starvation of oxygen, endorphins, and I am having one of the weirdest trips off the planet? Either I'm comatized, this is taking place in my mind, and I'm not dead, I'm what would be called an NDE, I'm near dead, and this is hallucinogenic, this is euphoric, or I'm actually dead, experiencing a person who's asked me if I want to go back into my dead body. <laughs> Little did I know, of course, the doctors had pronounced me clinically dead, certified me, and moved me to the morgue. So that means it's no longer NDE near death, which of course, non-Christians, intellectual arrogance want to say, oh, they're near dead. Because right. the trouble is, if there's life after death and the person's dead and sees something, then it's outside their scientific realm of evolution and nonsensical, um, the Bible says the fall in his heart says there's no God. It's called unbelief. So in my arrogance, I believed this is all dribble. This is all make-believe. Make I'm now finding to my amazement, I'm talking to a being of light whose radiance fills the heavens. He knows my name and asks me if I want to go back into my dead body. <laughs> I said, look, if I'm dead out of my physical body, I have no idea where I am. I wish to return. He said, Ian, if you wish to return, you must see in a new light. I thought, light. See the light. I am seeing the light. Look at this incredible light. Are you the true light? He said, Ian, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. 1 John 1, 5. As he speaks it audibly, just like I'd seen the Lord's Prayer, words that he's speaking appear in front of me. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. 1 John 1, 5. I'm thinking, what's the 1 John 1, 5? Roman numerology. I'd never read a Bible, so I had no idea it was the first epistle of John, chapter 1, verse 5. But I'm looking at the words, God is light. I thought, this is light. In him there's no darkness. Well, I've just come from darkness, and the men there called it hell, Hades. But here, I don't see any darkness. So I'm looking. I then look behind me. Because where, where I'm even sitting now, even though there's sunlight coming in, there's shadows everywhere. But when I look behind myself, I could see no darkness, no shadow. Why? I had no physical form to stop the light of his presence shining through my transparent spiritual being of light. So the scriptures are true. There's no shadow or shifting in God. God is light. There's no evil, no darkness. His entire heart person has no evil. 
People often question the character of God. So how could evil possibly take place? And they blame him for it rather than actually going, there is a kingdom of darkness ruled by the prince of darkness called Lucifer, Beelzebub, Satan, who himself is the ruler of that darkness, who put chose to rob, steal, kill, rape, murder, abuse. He's, he, he is doing this and then somehow blaming God for it. And man's so dumb and twisted, he actually thinks, what kind of mongrel God could let that happen? I'm now standing for a being of light who has got no evil, no intent, only incredible peace, extraordinary radiance, and no evil. I'm thinking, then what am I doing here? If he knows my thoughts and my voice, my heart, before I even speak, he must know of all the sick, perverted, sinful, mucked up stuff I've done. Someone's made a dreadful mistake and brought the wrong man up. Someone's pressed the wrong button and beamed the wrong boy up here. This, this boy should have been left back down there in the pit. I should crawl back under some rock. I should go back into hell where I belong. Let's just judge yourself and get out of here before someone figures it out. So I began to move back towards the darkness of the tunnel to basically <laughs> jump back in it. Let's go the other way. Slip back into hell, caught on some rock. As I'm moving back from his presence, light just emanates from him. And I could see this wave of intensity coming. I thought, oh, here it comes. The wrath, the anger, the fury of God. Bam! I'll be catapulted straight back into hell. As the light hit me, instead of anger and vengeance and wrath, pure love, acceptance and forgiveness floods me. It's like he just inundates me with pure, unadulterated love. Wave after wave of liquid light, pure love emanates into me. I'm going, but God, surely you know me. Surely you know my sins. You can't love a man like me. More love. I thought, perhaps he's so old he can't tell. I should tell him now. Let's just get it out there. Tell him my sins because no use getting in there and then figuring it out and then throw me out. Why, why taste of heaven and then get biffed back out? Let's just get it out. So I said, oh, I've cursed you. I've broken your commandments. More love. I thought, well, I need to be more pacific. I've slept with a heap of chicks, mate. More love. I've committed adultery. More love. I've taken drugs. More love. I have, and I just started running through to the sickest, most messed up thing I've done in my life, which I'm sure you don't want to hear. You can work out your own mess, you know what I mean? No one needs to hear the filth of what we've done, but God can and does, and he can forgive. Because <laughs> as I told him, my worst sin, the worst of the worst, I burst into tears because his response to that evil, perverted thing brought love and forgiveness into me. And I couldn't control it. Weep. I began weeping, weeping, tears just pouring out of me as God's going, son, I forgave you in that ambush. When you prayed the Lord's prayer, I didn't forgive some of your sins. I forgave all of them. Wash them all away. Why is snow? What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. If we confess our sins to God, God will forgive us all our sins, take all the darkness, all the bondage, all the brokenness. He will then cleanse as white as snow, heal us and replace evil with love, replace fear with love, heal broken hearts, bind up wounds, 
clothe us in our nakedness and our shame and take our shamefulness and cast into the sea of forgetfulness. I could sense every part of my being was being renewed, healed, transformed. I felt like as an empty vessel being filled up with liquid light, pure love began to literally overflow out of me. All sense of shame and guilt and, and condemnation was gone. I stood in absolute awe as I open my eyes without shame, says he's the glory and lifter of our head, and he forgives us forever. Eternal love. And I was surrounded two to three feet by pure liquid love, encased in light. And I could see the light that surrounded God, which is the same pure love, filled eternity, filled the heavens. It's like he had taken a droplet of his presence and glory and then just dropped his love all over me. I was now totally and completely transformed. I stood there in awe. And so his perfect love casts out all fear. God is love. And we love him because he first loved us. I had been unable to even comprehend what it was to love God, but because he had just loved and accepted me, my heart response to him was adoration, absolute love, and just thankfulness towards what he had just done. He had cleansed me, forgiven me, taken all my sinfulness away. And that's why Jesus said, I am the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's why he died on the cross the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world. Behold him. And what I was beholding wasn't a dead one. Thank God he's no longer dead. He's risen. He's glorified. That's the beauty about the story. I'd always seen him on a dead cross. People were kissing it, hanging around their necks. I'm going, my goodness sake, this person's alive. He's in that light. I can't see him. But he's full of love and he's speaking to me. He's not some 2,000-year-old Christian person that the Romans killed. He's actually alive. Right. Risen from the dead. So I said, God, could I step through this radiance and light? Could I come in and see you face to face? I think a bit like Moses. I want to see you face to face. And like the apostles, I want to see you, Lord. And thank God the scriptures tell us that the veil has been torn. Jesus paid the price that the veil into the Holy of Holies has been torn. We can boldly come to the throne of grace. We have access through the blood of the Lamb into the Holy of Holies. So I began walking into this radiance. It was like veils of light. The radiance, they're like miniature stars. When I look up at night, I feel very small when you look at the stars at night. But here, the stars look small. It felt like I was walking into the realm where the heavens were created. The Bible says we are created in the image of God. God himself literally uses the earth as a footstool. I'm now walking into a realm where the stars seem small, and I seem huge. <laughs> these, these, these lights which are like miniature stars, were actually entering into my spiritual body and I could feel that light giving off healing. I could feel the light healing my broken heart. I remember read, read later, Jesus, when he did his first sermon, said, the spirit of the Lord's upon me to heal the brokenhearted and bind up their wounds. He was healing my heart of hearts. He had forgiven me, but my heart was very broken. I think what happens when we forgive others, it gives opportunity for God to come in and heal us. 
If we hold bitterness and hatred and anger and resentment, that stops the Holy Spirit from healing our broken hearts. What's so beautiful is that when you ask forgiveness and forgive others, it gives God right then to come and to minister his healing balm and, and touch what I call the heart of hearts. And as I'm moving in, he was he was going over all my walls, all my protection. I mean, I was, I'd given my heart to woman, I'd given my heart to love, had it broken. God was now healing all that, making stuff like a child. It's just preparing me. Like an innocent, the pure in heart shall see God. Come to me as a small child. I can feel myself innocence and purity being restored. As I walked in, the vows began to open, and here was Jesus but nothing like I'd seen in a church or in an art gallery or stained glass window. Here was Jesus, robes of light, pure white garments down to his bare feet, arms outstretched, arms of love towards me. Here, instead of brown like we see depicted when he was here on earth, realize in the light of eternity, Jesus is the exact representation of the invisible God. When you've, Jesus, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. In Daniel, Daniel saw the Ancient of Days, the Father, on the throne. His hair was white like snow. Revelations, John the Apostle, when he saw Jesus on the Isle of Patmos after Jesus had died and resurrected, he said, Jesus' hair was what? White like wool, like snow. Here I'm standing seeing Jesus, pure white hair. Only for 30 odd years, 33 years that he had brown hair looking like a Jew. Before he came to earth, he was like the Father white as snow and resurrected he's pure white as snow radiant to shoulder length stunning ancient of days i mean and i look to his face well we've got depictions of jesus looking like the son of man well his face was like god his light and when i looked i could see i couldn't even see the eyes or mouth the area of his face was literally the epicenter of the universe it was like looking into the cosmos. It was like looking into eternity with an eternity with an eternity in his face. It was like if you looked into his face, you're looking into the center of the cosmos. In fact, the Bible says when Jesus spoke, the world came into existence. All things created through Jesus and for him. Father gave everything into the hands of his son. So when you've seen me, I, he is the exact representation of me. And so I'm looking going, if he spoke, galaxies, constellations would come out. He is the full man, but the face of God. It's the face of God. Look at the light. It's not even hurting my eyes. It's 10 times brighter than all the radiance that was surrounding them, which we now know to be the Holy Spirit glorifying the sun. But Jesus himself is glorified. He is full of light. I was blown out. So I, in fascination, walk closer towards him in awe at the beauty of his countenance. Radiance now emanates out of his face directly to me and purity. I feel total purity into me. And I'd lost my purity through sinfulness and through sex and through looking for love. Another wave of light, pure holiness, holy, holy, holy. I could not make myself holy. You can't be holy. He is holy. Fix your eyes upon Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. Only he can transmit his holiness. When Moses came in and, and Ezekiel and all the high priests used to come in, God said, you've got to prepare yourself because I'm holy. And he imparted holiness to them. But they had to take their robes off because if they walked out to the people with God's robes of holiness that had been imparted into them, it could kill people. Holy, holy, holy. 
In fact, Isaiah said there's coals of fire to try and cleanse Isaiah on the altar. See, this is where the fire is again. The altar was a blaze of coals of fire, burning fire. Seraphim were going, holy, holy, holy. So I'm going, oh, my goodness sake, he's beautiful, holy, pure, loving, forgiving, alive with arms of love, ready like a shepherd to embrace his prodigal son back into his arms. So I walked right up to him, stood literally inches away from him and tried to penetrate the light surrounding his face, hoping I could see the eyes and the mouth and the nose. But of course, the scriptures say, no man sees the face of God and lives. <laughs> Jesus' eyes are like a flame of fire. I think if I'd seen him right then, I would not be able to come back because Revelations 22 says we will see him face to face in eternity. But if I'd seen him then, I would not have been able to come back because without faith, it's impossible to please him. So faith is believing that which you haven't seen. So I could see his form and glory, but I could not see his face. So show me your glory. Yes, but your, my face you're not permitted to see. So I, I can see now why he didn't show me his face. But Jesus then steps aside. Bible says Jesus is the door, and you can go in and out and find green pastures, John chapter 10. And Jesus stepped to one side. Right behind him was an entire new earth. Crystal clear, blue sky, fields with light over the pasture, a river. They're saying there's the river of life, trees of life along the banks of it, mountains. I'm standing literally in front of a whole new earth. And of course, Jesus said, I go and prepare a place for you. If it wasn't so, I wouldn't have told you. I, I have prepared a new heaven and a new earth. The old earth and the old heaven will pass away. How? With fire, 2 Peter 3, 10 to 18. The fire will consume it, but don't worry. I've created a whole new pure, holy, new earth and new heaven where there's no darkness, no evil. No tree of the knowledge of good and evil, only the trees of life. And you can come freely and drink from it. So I'm literally looking at what John saw 2,000 years ago. He said, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And the old earth and the old heaven had passed away. And of course, in that, there is a new Jerusalem, the bride of Christ, coming down out of the new heavens onto a new earth. Because in Revelations 21.1, the old earth had gone. And the old heavens had gone. So I'm going, no one told me. I thought heaven was clouds and golden streets and pearly gates and Morgan Freeman up there and, <laughs> and played harps, fat little Italian babies with puffed up cheeks, flying Cupid arrows at me. I'm standing going, no one told me that God had created a new earth. I wasn't to save the earth, save the whale, save the planet. I was like a new age hippie, <laughs> greenie. Jesus just said, get saved yourself, son, because I have made it all new. This earth will pass away. Your body will pass away. But fear not, your spirit will be transformed into my likeness in pure light. And a twink of an eye, resurrection power will catch you up, absent from the body, present with the Lord. And I will literally show you where you belong. And I will bring the new Jerusalem where I dwell down upon this new earth. I won't just visit earth like I did the old one and walk with man in the garden. I will establish my kingdom. My city will be on earth. The gates of that city will be opened. The light of the presence will cover the universe and, the, and there will be no more sickness, no more death, no more suffering, no more war. And I will literally live with my sons and daughters, cohabit with them upon the new earth. 
<laughs> and I'm, I'm grappling with this stuff going, I've made it. Unbelievable. Why didn't anyone tell me this stuff? Next minute, Jesus comes right back in front. The door into eternity closes. And he asks me this question. He said, Ian, now that you've seen, do you wish to remain here or do you wish to return? I thought, who'd want to go back? That's paradise. That's the Garden of Eden. I, I was trying to get words to describe it. It's just beautiful. I've searched the world. It is there. I'd seen bits of paradise on, and heaven on earth, on, on planet earth. New Zealand's one of them. I'd seen it. What remains of what the, the world was once created to look like, but it's dying. It's going, going, gone. I went, it's at the edge of an apocalypse. It's the end. It's the edge of the end. But here you've created it all new. I don't want to go back. He didn't move. I said, well, I'm not married. I have no children, none that I know of. He still didn't go back. I said, I have no debt. I don't owe anyone. Still didn't. I said, well, no one loves me. I have no one to return for. He still didn't move. I thought, well, I'm going to say goodbye, cruel world. And I, I play rugby. It's not gridiron or, you know what I mean, or American, uh, American football, but it's rugby. Where you, it's a bit like Gaelic rugby here. And I knew if I could throw myself across the, the try line, you know, into the end zone, <laughs> I knew Jesus was standing there. It's like if I get a touchdown, man, if I could only go to the right or left of them without hitting them, I could dive into the end zone and make it. Does that make sense? I don't know in American term, I'm trying to get. So <laughs> I was about to do it, but I had to say goodbye, cruel world. So I looked back to say goodbye, cruel world, before I threw myself across the, into the end zone. And as I did, right behind me, a clear vision of my mum. I went, oh, my God. I've just told God that no one loves me, no one to go back for, no one cares for me. Hey, God, that's so wrong. In fact, had she not taught me about Jesus, had she not prayed with me as a mum, where would I be now? I'd be in the pit of hell. Had she not stood there and prayed, could I have cried out? No, she couldn't repent for me. She couldn't pray for me. She could pray me to the point where I would call upon the name of the Lord. Those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So I had to, in my own initiative, my own free will, choose him. Who will I choose? Me and my household, I'll choose the Lord. I'll choose the Lord. But she was instrumental in presenting Jesus to me. She was instrumental in teaching me as much as she could of the way to find him. I thought if I went in, they would bury me, cremate me, I don't know, get a jar of ashes. How would that impact my mother's faith? I thought that would cripple her. It would be devastating for her to lose her son and have no knowledge, no diary, no paramedic, no friend could say that this boy became a Christian. We can say, yes, he became a believer. He turned from a complete pagan. No one except God knew that. All that was prayed was in my heart, and God heard it. But like the man on the cross, <laughs> I, des I deserve to die. You're innocent. Remember me when you enter your father's kingdom. And Jesus turned to the thief on the cross and said, today you shall be with me in paradise. And I was that thief. Today I'm with him in paradise. He's now asking me, son, do you want to remain in paradise or do you want to return? I've now seen my mum. I thought I must return and tell mother all that she believes in is real. Here is a heaven. 
There is a hell. There is a resurrection from the dead. There is eternal life. Jesus is alive. She doesn't even know the half of it. I want to go back and tell my mum that she has actually got it right. I said, and as I look back, um, the Lord said, if you return, you must see things in a new light. I realized I must see through his eyes of love, from his eyes of eternity, not from my temporary way, but if I can be lifted up and seated in heavenly places with him, I can see how I live here affects eternity. What I do with this life and its temporalness as a sojourner, tabernacling with them, will affect eternity. We're waiting for the Feast of Trumpets when that trumpet will sound and we shall rise. And he's coming to take us back and the end of the world is at hand i look back and my father appeared next to my mum, my brother my sister hundreds of thousands of people a sea of humanity going off into infinitum it was like the canadian geese fly in a v formation there was literally multitudes of people going off and their faces were like a blur some of the front ones i could make out faces of friends uh, neighbors but my my family were immediately in front brother sister mum, and dad and I said, God, why do you show me all these people? What are they? He said, Ian, I want you to go back and tell them what you have seen. Because many will not step foot inside a church any longer to hear my name. I said, but I don't know them. I don't love them. Who are they to me? I love my mum, but I don't love these people. Well, you can have family. But I honestly couldn't say I love my dad at that point. You know what I mean? <laughs> And my sister and brother, okay, yeah, not sure. <laughs> I love them, but to a level, you know. But the real love, mum, there's one person on the whole planet that I could say I genuinely loved her. And the Lord said, son, well, I love them. And I desire all of them to come to know me. What? What kind of love? I know some of these people. I hate your guts. I'm thinking, how could all these people, you're willing to go and, and, and tell them and forgive them and bring them to glory, you have a desire to do that, and you want me to go back and tell them about it? I said, well, they don't believe me. He said, don't worry, son. They don't believe me either. <laughs> <laughs> so true. You were there for three days and three nights. Mate, I'm, I'm, I don't know how long I've been dead for, but I'm, you asked me to go back. I said, okay, I'll go back. I'm not sure about all these people, but I'll go back for my mum. How do I go back down the tunnel, back into hell, and back into my body? He said, Ian, tilt your head. Now feel the liquid drain from your eye. Now open your eye and see. The moment he said, open your eye and see, I was suddenly back in my physical body, head tilted, right eye opened, to my horror, lying back in a hospital, not on the A&E, on, on a slab in a mortuary, with a doctor, a completely different doctor, holding my foot, cupped in his left hand, right hand scalpel, pricking my foot like a dead piece of meat, like you started an autopsy or something stupid. And suddenly this doctor sees his corpse move, turns his head to me, and both of us have eye contact. He's going, has he got the evil eye? You know what I mean? Is this corpse twitched on him? Because it can happen. <laughs> or is this kid alive? I'm going, what the heck are you doing with a knife? Think I'm dead or something? And the doctor's eyes just pop out. You know what I mean? Just, he's face goes white and i hear the voice of god speak to me he said son i've just given your life back i said god if that's true could i look out my other eye and i'm getting sick of looking at him so i tilt my head to the left as i do this doctor's going up through the ceiling in absolute unbelief his corpse is now alive three nurses i found out were in the doorway had followed me from the accident emergency they'd been working on me when i died 
and had come down to see the dead white men. This is the Creole hospital. White people don't come to this hospital. So it was a novelty to see a white man in the hospital alive, now dead. So they're all coming to have a bit of a look, you know, gawk at the flipping white monkey, you know. So the next minute they see the corpse look at them, these three nurses who have just been through my death process, their eyes pop out, their bodies jump, one jumps back in fright, hits the other girl looking over his shoulder in the chin, knocks her bodily to the ground, and all three of them running with their feet race away in horror, terror, as if they've seen something from a, you know, what do you call it, the... The, the dead have come out of the grave or something. <laughs> They're gone. And I'm thinking, well, that doesn't appear to be the normal reaction to someone who's been comatized or has been in an NDE. Why are they running? Then I look back at the doctor who's frozen. He's just frozen from when he first saw me. And when we look at each other, he slowly puts my foot down and I can see he's about to run too. And then he says <laughs> something. He said, you've been dead for 15 to 20 minutes, son. We've done nothing to bring you back. So he's talking verbally out loud. And I'm thinking, do I tell him I've just seen God and Jesus and heaven and hell and all this stuff? I thought, man, if I tell him that, he might, might section me. He might think I've gone wacko. He might give me Prozac and, and stick me in a rubber room with a white jacket. Because I say, I'm hearing that voice still and seeing the white sheets and the white cloud and the white this and the white. He might put me in the white room with a, you know, <laughs> in a white jacket. <laughs> I'd seen a movie by Jack Nicholson called One Who Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. We yeah. feigned to be a nutter and they, let, they locked him in. <laughs> I have visions of me being locked up like Jack Nicholson's. <laughs> no way. Oh, I don't even know who, I don't even know how to explain this to this doctor. So he drops my foot, he disappears. Next minute, people come back and, and are staring at me. You know, other doctors, they're all freaking out and they're thinking, well, he's alive. What do we do with him? You know, so they move me back up to the general ward and drip, put a drip feed back in and act as though they know what they're doing. And they don't have a fucking clue what's happened. I, I still haven't told them. <laughs> and supernaturally, God heals me that night and I walk out of the hospital the next day. Fishermen see me think I've come back from the dead, terrified, run, like they've seen a ghost. I mean, I then began to see into the spirit world. I began to encounter the spirit world. And um, that's another half hour, but I'm not going to go there. Um, I ended up flying back to New Zealand. And as I'm doing that, God said to me, um, you're a reborn Christian. I was just asking what had happened to me. Never heard of it. He said, read a Bible. So don't have one. <laughs> so back in New Zealand, mum and dad's place get a Bible. My mum's weeping. Dad doesn't know what's going on. Within six weeks, read the entire Bible. And of course, what blew me out in Genesis, God said, let there be light. <laughs> and the light was good. I've seen that light. And God separated the light from the darkness. In Genesis 1, 3, and 4, I realized this was God's word because I'd seen the separation of that light and darkness. And when I got within six weeks, read the entire Bible, had a Messianic Jew give me his, his Bible because I was reading my dad's old one, King James. He gave me a New American Standard within six weeks. This Messianic Jew helped me and I read the entire Bible. And um, Jesus said, I am the light of the world, John 8, verse 12. Those who come to me shall no longer walk in darkness. I began to look at all the scriptures. Um, I baptized in water, baptized in the Holy Spirit. I mean, following Jesus within 12 months, God said, now go out to the world and preach the gospel to those people I saw. So in the last 
40 years of preaching 60 countries, millions and millions of people. Um, can't wait. Jesus said, work while it's still light, darkness will come where no man can work. We're right now on the edge where it's getting harder and more difficult to proclaim the gospel. People have been, churches have been shut down, pastors have been fired. Uh, Christians uh, are being expelled from their own churches, banned from coming to worship God. We're lepers and demon possessed could come in. Now Christians can't even come into their own church. You love Jesus. We're having a separation of sheep and goats. It's, it's all happening, mate. Yeah. Thank God. We've read the end. Thank God we win. <laughs> Thank God our Savior is coming on a white horse with a robe dipped in the blood of the Lamb. And he's coming for his bride. And thank God he's making us ready and getting our lamps full of oil, healing us up. The end is near. But those who stand, those who love, those who care, Right to the end. Yeshua Hamashiach. El Shaddai Elohim. He's coming for his beautiful, cleansed bride who felt perverted, who felt unclean, who felt messed up, who felt totally trashed. I felt morally, spiritually wrecked. God took me, but like the prostitute, and cleansed me, purified me, and said, go and sin no more. And I'm preparing you for a marriage supper of the Lamb. And I'm getting ready. I can't wait for the new wine. I can't wait for the ceremony. My beloved is mine and I am his. And his banner over me is love. And there is a love stronger than death. We could wear it upon our heart. And that's man to give his whole, whole world for love. The love that God has for us is beyond human comprehension, stronger than a mother, stronger than a wife, stronger than a brother and a sister and a closest friend. His love is height, depth, breadth of that love will change you forever. And that's my prayer, that the love of God would flood people that hear this today, would bow their knee, call upon the name of the Jesus, come out of their darkness, come out of their bondage, come out of their deception, come out of their religious whatever, and find Jesus to be the living word of God. Many people end up worshipping the Bible. They become like Pharisees. They, they've got a doctrine of who Jesus is, but Jesus is the word made flesh. We need to behold the person of the word. He is the living word. He is still speaking. He is alive. When I died, I didn't see a Bible. I saw the person of Jesus who is continually speaking, and he has written this by the Spirit using men. This is a phenomenal guide. This is an extraordinary. We must read this over and over again until the pages wear out. We must weep and pray and read this book until it becomes part of us. But we must realize this, this book tells us about Jesus. This book gives us ideas how men and women have worked with Jesus, but we must come and meet the person of Jesus. The Bible is not written, of course, other than the Torah and the Old Testament when the disciples saw him. They walked with him. We need to walk with Jesus like the early disciples. We need to know him. And we need to uh, love him with all our heart. So sorry it took so long, Peggy. Oh, thank you. Thank you for your time. It's <laughs> such a beautiful story. I know you've probably told it thousands of times. I mean, now you didn't become a minister. You went around speaking to church. Is that correct? Yeah, well, what happened? I, I just started speaking as the Lord told me. I went to work with headhunters in Borneo, Singapore, and Malaysia. And then someone just said to me, Ian, 
you've been helping so much in the church, you know, you're doing this. Why don't you get ordained? I said, well, what does that entail? I said, well, Bible school and, and get credentialed. I said, yeah, sure. I mean, I can study more about the Bible if I can be of help in the church. Absolutely. So I got ordained years ago with okay. the Assemblies of God and have been fully ordained for, I mean, 30 plus years. I may be longer. I've forgotten. And it's just been, uh, but I, I'm a Christian, so I, I move across from Amish, Baptist, Catholic, Presbyterian, Methodist, uh, whoever whoever loves Jesus. It's, thank God when we get up there, we're not going to have everyone segregated. <laughs> They'll all be Christians that love Jesus. And, and, and in every church, you've got people who just love him. And you've got people who are religious, people who just pew warmers, but that's in every denomination. I don't care what church you go to. You've got people that are saved and people aren't. But Jesus said, bring them in. Get them in there. Hopefully, as they hear the word, hopefully, as they feel the love of God and Holy Spirit will convict them and bring them to repentance. Because without repentance, there's, there's no forgiveness. And the, the blood of Jesus is the key. It's those who call upon the name of the Lord were saved. I, I didn't get, I, I wasn't baptized in water. I wasn't, I, I mean, I was saved by grace. I prayed the Lord's Prayer, which is the best salvation prayer, by grace in an ambulance. And of course, many of the disciples, once they got saved, then they got baptized. <laughs> you we know, were saved by the man himself. <laughs> I'm saved, man. He spoke to me, the, the, the Lord himself. And I mean, I love listening to guys like Johnny Cash and Derek Prince. And I mean, Johnny Cash, amazing. I walked the line. You know, what I mean? just, he tried to kill himself. He walked in the back of a cave. He tried to commit suicide. And God appeared to him and brought him out. So he could sing. He could tell people, I know it was just to be bad and wreck myself and wreck my marriage and take drugs and stuff it all up. He did all that. He committed adultery. He did the lot. But what he did is he found the Lord. I love listening to him when he sang. You know what I mean? He's passed on. He's in glory. There's heaps of people. Derek Prince preaching, fairly dry, but mate, old military type style, but deep revelation and knowledge of God. John Stott, there's tons, I mean, Porsons, there's tons and tons of people. Uh, Smith Wigglesworth, an old plumber, you know what I mean, from Yorkshire. <laughs> you just got to hear some of these guys' testimony. Finney, Charles, Charles Finney, uh, and the Wesleyans, John Charles Wesley. I mean, Phenomenal men of God who fasted and prayed and Reese Howell's intercessors and C.T. Stout who went to India. You just got to get and read some of these men's testimonies and women's testimonies. Marietta Woodward, you learn from them, grow, find out. Say, Lord, I want to be like you. <laughs> I want to glean from Esther's. I want to glean from Paul's. I want to glean from Peter's. I want to glean from the David's. I want to learn and know like Ezekiel, caught up into the third heaven. I want to walk in you in the spirit all the days of my life. I want dreams, visions, revelations. <laughs> you can't have too much. <laughs> but freely received, freely give. So the Lord's told me, give it all away for free. So we've never sold it for money. You haven't made a cent off the movie. You haven't made a cent off books really? or tapes, DVDs, videos, nothing. You haven't made a cent. Jesus said you just get the cost price for them. If you can get that, if not, just give them away. So we did. Awesome. Done it, done it. All these years we rent a place. We live out of the St. Vinnie de Paul's and the Salvation Army op shops, you know, the secondhand shops. So that's how we live. Everything's secondhand. I mean, we're just sojourning. We're passing through. But we've never been without. God in 40 years has 
the righteous shall live by faith. We're coming into days where everything's going to be taken by the Antichrist anyhow. So you, you might as well sow into the kingdom. Right. You might as well put money into that which is going to bring eternal fruit. I mean, you reap and reap and sow. So I just sowed into people. I've given to people and to uh, help people uh, because people are things that change, um, change one by one. Everyone got a chance to share and touch people's lives. So. Freely received, freely give. Oh, Jesus awesome. did it in charge of sent for his gospel. None of the apostles did. None of the Old Testament guys did. Said silver and gold have I not, but in the name of Jesus, stand up and walk. <laughs> That'll do. I'd rather have that kind of presence and power. You know what I mean? <laughs> and I've seen people get out of wheelchairs. I've seen cancers to people's body. I've seen MS guys. I've seen deaf ears open, blind eyes open. And, and, and I've been nearly fallen over in absolute astoundment saying it actually works. It's true. God can do these things. I've lost count of the amount of healing miracles and cancers. Lost count. My wife, she prays backs. And I've heard people's backs like, like snap, crackle, pop, like pouring on cornflakes or rice bubbles. You know, people's backs just been literally healed as, as she's laid hands upon them. So you just people got different giftings, different callings. Use them. Give them away. Some have got counseling, some have got prophetic, some have got apostolic, some have got teaching gifts, evangelistic. I've just found if you, you can't outgive God, mate, just out, just give it away. Give it away. So if anyone asks me to speak, just give it away. From radio, TV, schools, universities, prisons. I went up in Kingsway Prison on Route 66. Went up there in two wings of the prison. They started weeping. I thought, oh, they must be Christians. Turned out they weren't. <laughs> They found the Lord. Now, you said um, in the beginning there, there's another movie about your story called The Lazarus something? Lazarus like, Phenomena, yeah. Okay. Daniel Ekachuki, who was in one of Reinhard Bunke's crusades in Africa, he'd been dead for four days or something, three or four days. And, and while Reinhard was preaching, he came alive underneath the, underneath the stage. <laughs> they put formaldehyde in him. And so a South African guy, and, and um, he... He, he put the movie together. He asked me if I wanted to say, no, no. I just said, I just, want, I just want the rights to be able to give it away for free, my section of the movie. So I didn't take Daniel's, which is the first part. I took my part and just put it into DVDs and it's up on, up on YouTube so people can watch it. It's a reenactment actually done on the island by the fishermen's children in Mauritius. It's actually a docudrama where they take an interview from God TV out of London is a bit like TBM or the 700 club. Uh, it's equivalent to that in, in England. And they took that interview from that television program, which Howard Cond, a friend of mine who runs revelation TV um, gave free rights to, and we gave that. And then the fishermen did it all for free and they, they put it into a movie. Um, is that available online somewhere? Do you know? I'm sure it is called the Lazarus okay. phenomenon. Okay. Yep. Then you've got The Perfect Wave, and that was done by right. Christian surfers out of South Africa. That's more of a more current, more Bollywood, you know what I mean? Yeah. More Hollywood, not as accurate, but, you know, the guts of it's there. Good surfing. Yeah. <laughs> now, is that oh, whatever, real? use anything. Use um, anything to get people saved, man. And my testimony's yeah. in book. It's up, in, it's up there. You can download it for free. It's, it's in Word document. You can read it for free online on my website. I mean, I've got another friend in Alaska trying to put it into a proper full book the whole nine yards um he's up there right now writing it hopefully that'll come out i mean they they're gonna have to try and make some money off it i'm sure because they're writers you know what i mean but i don't want to touch a cent of it <laughs> someone's got to make a living mate 
God looks <laughs> after me. <He's... laughs> well, I appreciate your time that you've taken to share your story. And, you know, it's wonderful that, you know, we can do things like this or with your movie or your talks, you know, I, I've watched YouTubes of your talks, you know, that it can be, be shared all over the world. You know, yeah. people don't have to pay for it. They just, as long as no. they have some internet and device and. That's right. Read it, watch it. It's in book form. It's in different languages. I've tried as best I can. I've had the Google boys rip down my website three or four times, completely destroy every um, YouTube, every, every, um, Thing that's up there and i just had to reload it i once had it all on vimeo paid for it and then they wiped that all out too it's as though someone up there doesn't want it i mean when in the when in a web there's always a spider <laughs> is the book form called the perfect wave um i think it's called a glimpse of eternity i don't know if i've got the book here okay i have it's a friend of mine in sweden who publishes them and he gets them out at cost i'm just seeing if i've got some and we basically have distributed them there's a bookstore in London that does them for a pound. I think that's a dollar fifty US. I mean, we just try and get them out of publishing costs. I don't know if I've usually have them floating around. Oh, here it is. Here it is. Okay. It's called a glimpse of eternity, and it's um, by a woman, a friend of ours from New Zealand called Glennie Sharkey, and the publishing place I think is. Uh, Sweden, but in London it's called a Manor Christian Bookstore in Streatham in London itself, distributed by them, and they're doing it for, um, see there's Joel Schoberg who's in Sweden, that's the symbol of the publisher, and underneath is a Christian bookstore in London that's selling them for a pound. Okay. So we've also got friends who have put it into Italian, uh, a pastor in, in Italy, we've got it into German, another friend of mine, Peter Ischka, in Germany, we've got it into uh, Chinese, Korean, Russian, all different languages. I just let anyone, um, Slovakian, Czech Republic, Polish, just let them copy it, translate it, Japanese, put it up there um, for free. And if they make, if they, if they have to make a couple of dollars for the printing, fine. And they make a couple of dollars for the printing. I don't care, yeah. mate. They've got to live too. They've got to pay their bills. And if that's their job, they're writers or printers, then make some money. You but can hardly buy a candy so bar for a couple of dollars anymore. <laughs> yeah, so, but you make it so that there's no... I've got a friend, Richard Valdez, um, who's in... He's in... Um, he's in Puerto Rico. And Richard's, Richard's down in Arizona. And um, and he's been he's been doing it for, for nothing. I mean, he's been giving them away. Um, or, or for a dollar, I think he has, you know, gets access to my book and sells it in the States. It's up there on my website. And Richard, he's an amazing man, just an absolute gem, Puerto Rican man. He took me out there to preach and he translated into Spanish. And in his heart, he was a computer analyst, analyst and stuff. And his heart was um, just to try and get it out to America, you know. Years ago, it used to be videos. We used to, I, um, International Cassette Corporation out of, um, out of Dallas. They used to do it for a dollar. Um, we, we did hundreds of thousands of them. I mean, in Australia, we did them for a dollar in Australia. In one year, we did 100,000 DVDs. When people do 10,000 books, they think they've made it. I mean, we did 10,000 books in Sweden and only preached there twice. Uh. Well, because the key is, if you want to reach the world, there's 7 billion, you need to get out. The, you need to get it out. So get it out. 
through internet, social media, through a document, through book, through podcast, through you name it, word of mouth, somehow through whatever, Twitter, whatever group, Facebook, whatever link, just share it. And, and that's why people say to me, God, you look on the web, there's thousands of you speaking in different churches. So that's right, because I know the enemy will try and wipe them out. If there's a central thing, he'll wipe them out. So sometimes the whole website's taken down. And then people just reload it up because I don't know how to do it. I've never loaded anything up. <laughs> I don't even know how to manage the website. I had a friend who does it for free for me out of England. He said, I'll do it for free. I'll run the website for free, mate. You can have it. It's just a blessing. You're doing great stuff. Just do it. Yeah. For, do it all for free. So I said, right, then anyone, who, anyone, whether it's mum and dad, whether their phone or in those years used to be Cam Howell, I, I didn't care who was videoing it. Anyone can video it. Anyone could copy it. And because every meeting's different and every time the Holy Spirit emphasized something different. So who knows <laughs> when the Holy Spirit's going to touch um, one aspect of the testimony. Mm -hmm. So I'm really happy for anyone to, to find whatever's up there and load it up, use it, copy it, distribute it. People say, well, what will happen if they mess it up and trans, uh, you know, stuff it up? Well, I've said I've had three guys buy half their homes by selling my testimony for 20 bucks a pop. I mean, uh, how, how do you live with that? I, I, when I first found that out, I said to the guy, why'd you do that? Oh, well, you, you put no copyright on it. So um, I sold them. And I said, well, it reflects upon me, doesn't it? He said, oh, well, that's your problem. And so I said, God, I said, God, that's fascinating. People may be thinking they're giving to me by me, them buying the tape or whatever. He said, don't worry, son. Those men have the reward. They forfeit anything in eternity. I said, that's interesting. That'll do. They have the reward. He said, so you enter the market, flood the market. So I entered the market to find out how much it costs to make a book, how much it costs a DVD, how much to make a CD and, and videos in those years. And they were making massive profits. I mean, it cost you 50 cents to make something and they'd sell them for 20 bucks, 25 bucks. I mean, there's no faith in that. That's, that's, that's what Jesus came to the temple and kicked over the tables and the priests. He said, you boys are selling doves. You're selling sheep, you're money changers, mate. You're making money off what people need to worship God with. Don't you dare make the money. It's a, it's a, it's a den of thieves and robbers. That's what Jesus did when he kicked the tables over. The yeah. priests were basically selling, said, oh, no, you don't have to bring your sheep and goat from Galilee, mate. We've got them up here. They're five times the price, but that's cool. You can pay for it in temple money and we'll pocket it. So that when the priesthood starts taking money from, from what God has freely given, and you're called by God as a Levite to give it away, you, you're in trouble. You just forfeit in any eternal reward. Yeah. Well, I appreciate your time. You enjoy your um, <laughs> Valentine's celebration. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I heard my wife come in. so <laughs> I think I seen <laughs> her run past gonna... there once with her flowers. <laughs> yeah, she doorway. said she was going to. Oh, could she stop them? She said she was going to pray for me in, in the other room while, while I was speaking. So she <laughs> loves the Lord. She was she became a Christian when she was a little girl, um, born in Texas, Brown, Texas, you all. <laughs> Conversation. <laughs> her father was an Aggie. So bless you guys. Bless America. Bless the world. And Lord, save souls. And thank you for your ministry. I listened to your testament, Peggy, too. My wife did last night. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. In the oh. lake there. Oh, my gosh. Five-year-old. Well. <laughs> thank you for listening. <laughs> oh, I love it. Thank you for sharing. Uh, may mm -hmm. more people get saved as they hear the incredible way God has come to you, healed you, 
given you the ability to forgive and to love against all odds and to be a follower of the Son of God. Amazing. Thank you. You're an amazing woman. Bless you. <laughs> Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Okay, so nice bye -bye. meeting you. Yeah, nice meeting you.